All right, I'm here with Charles Froman, a longtime friend, longtime health activist, health freedom activist. Um, he's also a libertarian yogi, and maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Um, and he's a cash patient maker. So thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. Thanks, and Brittany. I'd like to start out by asking you, what is a cash patient maker and why is that important? For anyone really deep in health reform from a free market perspective, you know some of the leaders and big idea people. And one of them is Greg Scanlon, uh, who hired me for a bit in the mid-2000s for this group called Consumers for Healthcare Choices. And one of his big sticks, and he has a book out on Mythbusters, Why Health Reform Always Fails. And excuse me. And one thing he always says is if you don't make, if you don't upgrade patients into price sensitive shoppers, you're kind of wasting your time. Because right now, most people have a Blue Cross card, they're slapping it down at their doctor's office saying, you take care of it. And so that supply and demand curve in healthcare is really weak because the, de the demand side, patients aren't being picky. They're not really shopping on price or quality. You can't have a vibrant market if that demand curve is weak. So with Greg Scanlon in the ivory tower shouting shop on price, this health company I got involved with actually gives you the money, whether it's money for the major medical stuff, the cancers, heart attacks, major accidents, to help you shop around with our help. I mean, it's intimidating to negotiate pricing in this scary health market. So we'll do it for you. And then for the low level stuff with the health savings account, you know, you have that tax incentive to shop and save money every year that money rolls over. Either way, you're starting to be picky, you know, find that standalone testing center for the MRI or imaging or labs, or that ambulatory surgical center, instead of going to get in the hospital. And I know that as a health fellow health freedom activist, Brittany, you know, uh, we want to help these independent institutions thrive in the health market, and really look at the hospital as not the, the glorified end all and be all when it comes to healthcare for a variety of reasons that we'll probably get into. So just, just to clarify, uh, what is the name the name of your company? Um, well, I mean, the, the website for folks to go to, it, the company is mpb.health, Empowering like Benefits, mpb.health. Uh, but the link I give folks is patientempowerment.mpb.health. Okay. okay. It's a little like introduction that. to upgrading to become a independent price sensitive shopper. And, you know, when you accept the invitation to upgrade, you don't have to be handcuffed by networks that insurers impose on you, which exclude the best doctors. That's how they cut their prices. They just exclude the best doctors that overcharge, mm. or maybe they charge leg legitimately, but too much for the insurer's taste. So they're out of the network. Right. And that, that really pisses off people when you get cancer or heart attack or have a major accident because you want the best doctor right. <laughs> at that point. Right. Uh, well, so now they're out of network. So good luck. Yeah. So, so how it, 
is what you're doing a form of insurance? Is is this how would you categorize it? No, we're an insurance alternative and you don't have to have insurance to have protection for major medical. There's uh, sharing communities now that compete with insurance companies and you can get some communities that are compliant with the Affordable Care Act if that's important to you or if it's required in those five states that still impose penalties for non-compliance. It's only five now. Yeah, well, it's five now. It used to be less. Uh, you know, California is one of them, Democrat states for the most part, New York, D.C., Illinois, um, maybe Rhode Island, Massachusetts, five or six. Uh, But, um, you know, leaving insurance for sharing, which a million people have done, Mm -hmm. mostly out of desperation because of the price. I mean, if you're like a realtor doing well, no subsidy on the Obamacare exchange, you're paying well over a thousand a month for healthcare. Sometimes yeah. fifteen hundred with like five, six grand in, in deductible. Yeah. If if I come to you saying, "Hey, leave insurance for sharing," you're not going to ask any questions. You're going to say, "Where do I sign?" You're desperate. Yeah. So a million successful small entrepreneurs mostly have left insurance for sharing, and then they learn what, what it's all about, and they love it and never leave. You know, I've had two customers with cancer. And the so I have testimonials that this stuff works. The biggest improvement for the cancer patients is with a sharing community. They're holding your hand, helping you shop, get you know experimental treatments because you're really open-minded. Because so much so much of the cancer treatments out there don't work. Mm-hmm. You know the burn and cut model. And when you're a cash patient, you can go to Tijuana or or worldwide to get the treatments that increasingly we'll want to think about. Uh, there's this really great provider in Tijuana, Veris Health, who does all kinds of exper- experimental cancer, cancer treatments. Rich people go to him because they're not having this standard of care for cancer these days, which don't, doesn't work. If you want choices, you want to become a cash shopper. But the, but the sharing community holds your hand. They work with you. They're a partner versus the adversarial dynamic that infects insurance uh, billing and claims chasing. You have to fight like heck to get payment for a lot of bills when you're a sick patient in the hundreds of thousands of dollars bill type area. So it's really good. Forbes featured us. Um, The testimonials are there. So that's, I'm the cash patient maker, cost half. We we hold your hand to shop around. It's, It's really good stuff. And it helps my, the other part of my life, which is the health freedom activist, uh, you know, as you and I and others we know uh, advocate for health freedom, it helps to have companies like mine in the commercial area upgrading patients to be choosier shoppers because uh, that's what you need um, because health freedom is a huge issue. We're taking on a seventh of the economy. Let me close the door here. I've got small kids like you do, Brittany. <laughs> yeah, noisy. There's, there's interruptions can, might always um, might surface. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask about, because people listening are going to want to know about this. Um, with sharing, or at least with your with your model of sharing, what is what is this? How do you treat pre-existing conditions? Well, we can't offer our ridiculously low prices, like 200 bucks a month for an individual 400 bucks for a family if we're going to take you on cancer. Yeah. Now, 
if you have some pre-existing conditions like cholesterol or blood pressure, sleep apnea, hemorrhoids, and it's well controlled, we won't consider that as pre-existing. And if they get really expensive, a heart issue, a cholesterol issue that gets really expensive, we'll pay for everything. Well, the community will share. You know, we got to use the proper verbiage because the insurance companies hate us. Just like banks hate credit unions for competition. Mm-hmm. You have to use the correct verbiage. So you'll be good to go. Um, but I'll tell some people not to get my plan if they have cancer or some other tr- symptom that could blow up above their out of pocket with this, you know, five grand, 1,000, 2,000. If, if, if you had a pre ice condition that blew up to 10 grand and you couldn't afford it, you wouldn't be happy. And I don't want you to be unhappy. So I'll, I'll discourage folks who are real sick from joining. Now, what, if, what if somebody and they'll signed, have to get an exchange plan? What, 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 what if somebody signs up with you guys and they seem perfectly healthy two years down the road, they develop something that's going to be very expensive to treat. Are they going to need to get supplementary insurance? Are they going to need to get something in order to cover that? Or will you guys be able to cover them to covers the wrong word here? Uh, will they be taken care of in your system? So in your scenario, the person gets really sick um, in the first or second year. Is that sickness tied to a pre-existing condition or not? Let's say it's not. Let's say it's totally new. Well, they're fine. Okay. They're they're fine. Yeah, it's great. Um, You know, they're going to check your medical records. And if there's any symptom in the past three years, well, when you enroll with me and talk to me, you have to know yourself what symptoms or treatments you've had over the past three years. And if, if you have a potential flare-up in your future from something you've had over the past three years, well, then you may want my plan really badly. Most people do. It's fantastic. I mean, who wouldn't? It's half the price. You get a health savings account in which you could save up tax-free hundred grand by the time you retire. You know, you know, financial planners will tell you before an IRA fund uh, max out an HSA. Well, so so to be clear, this I is a tax... Have- this is a this is an HSA that you're not so in a lot of HSAs you're limited you've got to spend it within a year or a year and a half. Yours is not like that. Well, that's not an HSA. You're talking about a FSA, a flexible ah, okay. spending account, right? Right. Which most people know about because they've been popular in corporations for for years. It's that's a use it or lose it plan, right? It's it's good it's good for that end of year. Um, treatment that you know Medical. you're going to have or, yeah. or new eyeglasses. So it's an HSA really is fundamentally different from that in that it rolls over, rolls over and it's more of an investment. Tool. Right. It rolls over every year. So if you met, if you're a family and you put in seven grand into, into your HSA every year for 30 years, you know, that that's a, that's a $210,000 of retirement. And then you can invest that with our company into dimension or Vanguard funds. So now, look, you know, this it's, it's the best thing out there. You combine that with sharing, which treats you better when you have cancer or heart attack, you know, insurance companies aren't very happy with this. Yeah. So that's one thing I was wondering, have the insurance companies come after you guys or come yeah. after other, and what, how has that worked out? Um, well, I mean, 
So we're a broker that has it as vendors sharing companies. So as one vending vending sharing company withdrew from a couple of states, another sharing company is in those states. So we're we have sharing in all 50 states. And it's not like it's easy for an insurance commissioner to scare a sharing community out of the state. They've only done it in five states. And how you do know, they do it's that? What Democrat they, states. They 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 come um, in and they say you're you're they'll 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 find one uh, sharing company that has kind of overdone it with the, the salesmanship. Alira mm-hmm. is a, a religious sharing ministry that has been kicked out of a few states. Um, you know, we've one of our sharing vendors has w- withdrawn from a couple states. Uh, our other sharing vendor is in, is in all 50 states. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy for an insurance commissioner uh, to drum up some cause to kick out a sharing community because, uh, you know, sharing communities are not insurance. They're unregulated. And an insurance commissioner has to build a case out of fraud. And since okay. sharing communities originate out of benevolence, uh, it's sort of built into a sharing community not to be fraudulent. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if and, they were, though, what what remedies other than other than some you know mega insurance company that hates them already because they're competition? Let's say a sharing community d- did commit some kind of fraud. What remedies are there for that? The attorneys general uh, can kick out any company period for fraud issue cease and desist orders. Okay. So to my knowledge, that has not happened. I, I know they have attempted to issue cease and desist orders with one of these companies, Alera, I believe. And uh, I think it's worked in maybe a couple of states in, in one state or a couple of states, the company is fighting back and with the court's help has overturned mm-hmm. the attorney general and the insurance commissioner because these are kind of made up cases. They're not strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, this sharing communities are kind of like credit unions. They're, yeah. they're created out of benevolence. There's not so much profit incentive in them. Right. Um, so right. It's, it's hard to find fraud with credit unions or sharing communities. I'm sure it has happened in the past, but it's not something that happens very often because you don't read about it very often. Right. It it brings up the whole issue, though, because we're seeing this elsewhere. Um, I feel like there's a whole spotlight being shown on it right now. You know, we're seeing it with doctors, with researchers who come out against the the party line that it's licensing authorities who come in and say and, and threaten to take away their license. And I think what we're starting to this is something you and I have been aware of for a long time, but I think what the what the rest of the world is starting to see now is that licensing, to, to use the term broadly, the state giving permission for people or companies to do business is really a tool of control. And this the insurance company thing is, I think, is a good example of that because you've got the insurance industry that obviously doesn't want competition going after these very different kinds of entities that they see as competitors and they're doing it through the regulatory structure. They're doing it through this 
this body of law that says that the government gets to dictate who can practice and who can't is do do you do you feel like that's something that's becoming or do you do you agree with that assessment and do you feel like that's something that's sort of becoming more apparent well sure i mean lord acton said it best uh, power corrupts and as libertarians Brittany, we know that there is no such thing as a free market. Every one of them has been oligopolized by special interest with mm-hmm. the tool of government. Yeah, especially um, in healthcare. Right, to, to capture the regulatory process. And, you know, especially in healthcare, education, um, telecom, a few other markets. Uh, and in the 50 states, uh, the commissioners captured by insurers will. Uh, hassle us in any other uh, entity and even insurance. Uh, I'm friends with uh, an insurance entrepreneur uh, who runs Delshore, who's trying to get past in Delaware and he's in the courts because if his company gets approved, we're going to see true insurance in all 50 states. Wow. Not just true insurance, which just, pardon me? No, that's, that's, you don't see much of that around. Right. Well, not only would it be the first restoration of true insurance, which just would pay for claims around catastrophic expenses. Right. But for the low level preventive and primary care services, his company would not require any pre-authorization, which would restore the doctor patient relationship Mm -hmm. in a beautiful way. So because of my position yeah. as the tip of the spear for the making of cash patients and helping doctors who want cash patients, I know a lot of the disruptors out there. Uh, so, you know, that'll be competition for me unless I start working for him as well. I'll offer Delshore and the sharing. So, you know, mm-hmm. you want you want your bank, you want your credit union, you want your insurance, you want your sharing. Uh, either way, the, the the point is to give patients and providers tools to help them do their job, you know, yeah. around informed consent, around the state of the art, and not the politicization of healthcare, which you're getting at. I mean, I think yeah. we both know that Dr. Paul Thomas just lost his license in Oregon. Yeah, I mean, he's, his, I'm, his, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, his, his crime uh, was allowing patients to, um, spread out their vaccine schedules, God forbid. Mm-hmm. You know, what is what did ABC report that one third of moms are doing that now? They're not complying with the CDC recommended schedule uh, yeah. because with information, people are starting to demand better evidence and science from the special interests in healthcare. Yeah, well, and not and, only that. You know, that gets he- to my other uh, client, you know, I'm Sorry. Uh, yeah, I was just going to I was just going to say not only that, but he then went and published a paper showing, you know, comparing the, the results, the outcomes of his patients over, I think it was 10 years and looking at the ones that were either not vaccinated or, or vaccinated to a lesser extent and showing their long term health outcomes versus the ones that followed the CDC schedule or that were closer to it. And there's a big difference. So um yeah, they, they don't want that out there. Um, but sorry, go ahead. Well, they don't. And 
you know, that's part of the advocacy effort that a client of mine, the National Health Federation, the oldest health freedom organization, uh, wants to pursue. And, you know, with the National Vaccine Information Center, parentalrights.org, you know, Bobby Kennedy's Children's Health Defense Fund, and Dell Bigtree's Highwire, there's going to be a big lobbying effort starting any second now as soon as the District of Columbia government finalizes a bill, not only allowing minor vaccine consent with parental um, consent requirements, uh, but worse, parental concealment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The the Mm -hmm. D.C. bill forbids insurers from including the vaccination in the explanation of benefits given to the payer. Uh, the, the insurer forbids the doctor from noting the vaccination in the patient's medical records and it forbids uh, the school in the school record. So if you're, if your kid comes home descending into injury from the vaccination and you have no idea, you have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how is that? Yeah. How is that not criminal? How is Um, that? How is that legislation not criminal? Yeah. Um, Exactly. I'm I'm losing you a little. You're you're chopping up just a little bit. Um, I'm just going to pause for a second. All right. Uh, Sorry, we just interrupted for sound purposes. Uh, Go ahead. Um, Yeah. So anyways, as I empower patients and doctors around cash payment, cash pay, cash paying, cash shopping, commercially, uh, as a fellow activist like you, I you know I have a client, National Health Federation, the oldest health freedom organization in in the country, maybe the world, that's joining these other groups uh, to potentially overturn uh, DC's attack on parental vaccine consent. Because mm-hmm, uh, as mm-hmm. folks should know, um, you know, the District of Columbia is sort of a city-state government that is not independent on purpose, uh, because we wanted uh, our Congress to have safety from undue influence from the government in which it is housed. Thus, uh, Congress can overturn any law passed by the D.C. Council. And Mike Lee, mm, okay. Senator of Utah, and Representative Cloud of Texas have already promised to sponsor a joint resolution to overturn that D.C. law. Okay. And they'll have only a month to overturn that D.C. law. And because there are so many groups that are going to be tackling this effort, it's going to be a great opportunity, not just to overturn this attack on parental consent, but also to find out who our friends in Congress are. And we mm. need to put... Congress on the spot because we can't just rely on state governments to protect us. And all of us will have to start lobbying in all 50 states next month when the legislatures reconvene for their sessions. And there are some things we're going to want to do, you know, stopping mandates, uh, stopping these vaccine registries, which are going to leak and be shared in other databases, which are going to be how the employer's prevent us from working for them, the shops mm-hmm. from uh, from uh, allowing us to go in there. 
um, you know, et cetera. That's the, how the indirect coercion is going to happen. Right, right. Um, but there's a host of codes that will have to amend in every state to, to insert uh, civil rights for vaccine refusers, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's uh, nurses and doctors, you know, occupational codes, uh, you know, for doctors that don't want to take the vaccine or administer it, uh, we'll have to amend licensing laws. So if doctors issue medical exemptions, they don't lose their license. Like Dr. Paul Thomas. So, so here's my here's my thought about. It. I mean, first of all, I I, comp- I I love these organizations. I actually wasn't aware of the National Health Federation, but the other ones, I'm very familiar with. Um, love all the work they do, and I really appreciate all the work that <clears throat> you guys are that you're doing to to lobby Congress and to to try and fight this stuff. The other side of that, though, is when I look at this, it's like, this is a Gordian knot. This is, there's, as you're saying, there's so many things that would need to be amended, so many, so many pieces of this. I feel like what's needed is just to slice through the whole damn thing. I mean, what we're, what we're facing now, what we're starting to see is, again, something that you and I have seen, I think, for a long time, but it's just becoming in your face, even if you're not in this movement, is that we're really living in a system of medical authoritarianism. And, you know, we're looking forward to a time, I think probably not too far off where, let's say, you know, you're in a car accident or something and you're rushed to the hospital and they say, okay, well, where's your vaccine record? Um, Oh, you, you haven't been, you haven't received this brand new, you know, barely tested vaccine. We're going to give it to you or we won't treat you. And, that's the kind of thing that I feel like, you know, I don't necessarily want to untangle every little piece of legislation to get that stopped. I just want to stop it. And what what are your thoughts about, for example, you know, there are, there are some jurisdictions here in California, some um, some counties where they have just refused to enforce Governor Newsom's lockdown orders or his mask orders. What do you think about the possibility of getting counties and other local jurisdictions to just nullify, to, to A, to refuse to enforce the stuff that's coming, but even to nullify licensing laws to say, you know what, this is, this is obviously now being used as a tool of control. It doesn't have anything to do with providing quality services or quality products. We're not going to let you guys do that anymore. And on a county level, we're going to nullify it. What What do you think about that? Well, there's three different things there. Um, one, the local refuge from medical tyranny is important. There are uh, groups in several states pursuing that here in Virginia, Virginia Freedom Keepers and this new constitutional conservatives group are echoing the Second Amendment uh, efforts to prohibit uh, you know, gun law enforcement, and then in this case, um, COVID um, emergency order uh, lockdown enforcement, which could apply to other health tyranny issues by soliciting county commissioners to pass ordinance, ordinances against enforcement and getting the, the mm-hmm. sheriffs uh, mm-hmm. to back that up. A lot of health freedom activists and constitutional activists are coming to agree with what you just said, 
that that effort has to be part of this discussion. Um, like that Gordian knot, if you can just get safe havens where you can just live your lives in peace without having to worry about so many different codes, like I just mentioned, that have to be amended. Um, so that is happening and That's should continue. Great. And we should discuss that and, and, and blog about that and podcast about it. Get the leaders of those movements talking about it, how we can get involved. Yeah, I'd love to have some of them on the show too, if there's if there are people who'd like to to speak about that. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, the National Vaccine Information Center presented on this weekly weekly webinar that I host every Wednesday that you still have to do the hard work that is available through amending mm-hmm. these public public accommodation laws, these uh, hospitalization laws to, to protect that patient from having to test for COVID or vaccinate to get mm-hmm. their other treatments to protect the employees, the doctors and nurses in the hospital. So and you're talking state either. Right. State no, state. absolutely. Yeah. And you're talking state. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, what we're up against is so big. We need to be picking up every weapon we've got. And um, yeah, that's, that's part of it too. But, you know, we do need some catch-all panaceas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this one lawyer, Greg Glazer, for Physicians for Informed yep. Consent. Yeah. And he wrote that Trump, by militarizing uh, with warp speed vaccine um, uh, approval and distribution, he said, and I'm not quite clear in the details, that that process prohibits states from mandating the vaccines. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> which would be a godsend and, and which would lend one to think that Godspeed to Trump's election fraud effort, because <laughs> if we can just overturn what seems to be a Biden victory, and if the militarization theory is true, that that preempts state mandates huh. of emergency vaccines, that would be a good step for now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's certainly, although, you know, as I think, as you sort of alluded to before, I, I don't really... I'm, I'm less concerned about the states mandating it and more concerned about businesses making it a requirement, hospitals making it, airlines, all of those things, the soft mandate. I feel like that's something that's already in motion. And yes, absolutely fight it at the state level. But what do we do about what do we do about all these, you know, the businesses, the airlines, the um, the other places that are going to be possibly employers? You know, what do you do about that? Well, what NVIC's Don Richardson presented on my weekly health webinar was the nitty-gritty state stuff to insert um, vaccine refuser civil rights and public ac- public accommodation laws. So retail operations uh, can't refuse you, transportation laws, so airlines can't refuse you or, or public tr- transportation I don't know the full answer to that. I know what she said is part of the answer. Um, you know, public pressure boycotts. Uh, you know, I, I think the airline associations have already walked back that mm. threat from the Qantas. Yeah. CEO that he would he would require vaccines to board the airplanes. Right, and then some travel agencies, or at least one, came out and said, "Well, we're not going to be." 
we're not going to be purchasing any tickets through Qantas anymore. Um, and good for them for doing that. That's yeah. that's great. I, I didn't realize they were walking back their their position. Kind of like the, the non-GMO project. You know, if if big ag is going to prevent us from acquiring genetically modified organism ingredient and labeling, then at least we can boycott, you know, support affirmatively mm-hmm. those organizations like non-GMO projects, which are going to educate us on which foods aren't polluted. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the same dynamic support, this travel agency that's going to do the work for us to connect us with commercial airlines, get us to point B without having to, you know, put our lives at risk in right. order to travel with this dangerous mRNA vaccines, which killed all the animals right. through uh, vaccine enhancement, you know, autoimmunity. Um, yeah. You know, and, you know, God bless that Pfizer VP, Dr. Yeadon, who's got a lawsuit or, mm-hmm. or a petition with FDA to deny emergency approval um, for, I think, the fake PCR test. Which they're uh, exaggerating with excessive cycles yeah. to get that yeah. positive reading, um, and you know we all know by now that these these vaccines are are, are fake. They're uh, being approved only by showing mitigation of a symptom like coughing right. or a fever, right? Plus a PCR positive reading. Well, now yeah. we know that these, these PCR tests are only accurate 3% of the time. And uh, these symptoms, like a fever, could stem from something other than SARS-CoV-2. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And but most importantly, there, these the approval pending at FDA isn't going to be based on mitigating hospitalization and definitely not um, transmission. Yeah. So all these doctors are going to be vaccinated first and they're they're going to become typhoid Marys, asymptomatic spreaders. And then of course the long-term autoimmune threat of death. Yeah. Is um, that okay. So I was about to go off onto a different tangent, but I, I'm not, that'll be, that'll be a different episode. Um, Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Um, it's it's bizarre to me when you see how many problems there are with the vaccines that are being developed, and also the fact, that, as you said, they're just targeting you know a, a diminishment of symptoms. They're not targeting um, transmission or even hospitalization or death or anything. And yet, there are still. I mean, I'm I'm heartened to see there are so many people who are saying they will not take it. But at the same time, there are so many people saying, you know, clamoring for it still. And so I'm just wondering if, as far as PR goes, if they're just banking on the fact that most people aren't paying attention to what's actually, what what this vaccine is actually going to be and we'll end up getting, or we'll just get pressured into it. It's the whole thing from a PR standpoint is very strange to me. Sorry, I apologize for having my phone. Um, My mom is out with my daughter, so I've got it keep it on but does it do you think that's strange do you think it's weird that that the problems are so obvious they're they're in the media and yet and yet there's there i'm surprised there's any any public support for the vaccine at all well i think you would agree with me that over the several past months it's been heartening to see 
polls showing majorities resisting this COVID vaccine, number one, which is good news for us because we haven't had majorities on our side hesitating on vaccines ever. yet, ever. And it's been nice to see Democrats like Kamala uh, resist Trump's vaccine since uh, Democrats universally have been to blame in most of the states for attacking legitimate exemptions from vaccine yep. mandates for, for our school kids. Yeah, for years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can milk this potential hesitancy on the part of Democrats um, and independents. But, you know, we're in a precarious situation. If Biden won, his COVID task force is going to be full of medical tyrants. The Democrats are going to get in line because they're pharma tools. Mm-hmm. A lot of Republicans aren't really strong on health freedom. The yeah. conservative activists are becoming better on this. The uh, draconian shutdowns, the sabotaging of livelihoods of so many small businesses have sent many of them over to our side. We're going to have some allies for health freedom. Um, the attack on parents in D.C. is going to allow for a really big, broad coalition fight in the short term to get Congress to overturn that attack on parental rights. That indirect play is going to help us on, on vaccine choice because uh, it's a parental rights issue. I think the uh, big tech tyranny, the censorship and the concern about privacy and data sharing is going to help us on the vaccine registries as we lobby in the states to change those laws from opt-in to opt-out. So there's a host of dynamics which will help us and give us hope. On the other hand, you mentioned the soft tyranny, the indirect play from um, risk-averse employers saying, no business with me, you know, like that Seinfeld episode, no soup for you. (laughs) <laughs> unless you test or vaccinate. Uh, so we're going to have to see how the multidisciplined counter-effort uh, happens to educate us on what can work to get those employers on the side of science and and civil rights and common sense and not, not be Gestapos uh, for the mm-hmm. medical tyrants, mm-hmm. you know, and the digital currency, you know, as the government tries to um, throw cash to the dumps and make us all use their digital currency, we'll have to work with our Bitcoin friends to keep the the, the uh, digital currency private and safe from the t- yeah. safe from the tyrants. And uh, keep working with the doctors. Oh, I, you know, we didn't, we didn't mention the frontline doctors. Yes. Here, here yes. FDA is about to authorize risky experimental vaccines. Well, yeah. at the same time, denying frontline doctors from being able to treat us with a, a $10 malarial pill that has yeah. a near 100% effective rate. Uh, and has been on the market treatment. for how many how many um, decades? Yeah. Yeah. So these doctors are ripe for alliances. Yeah. They've been grossly mistreated by the medical tyrants. Yeah. So they're a natural ally. There's lots of natural allies to get organized to keep this conversation going, um, you know, 
And so I'm so glad that you had me on this podcast. Brittany, yeah. And I, because... and um, I've, I've got to let you go, but I would love to have you back on again, because there, there are just so many different directions. There's, this is kind of the, the, the crux of, of everything sort of comes together here with the medical freedom issue. And there are so many offshoots. There's so many different things to talk about. So I'd love to have you back on again to talk about some of this. Likewise, Brittany, your podcast is great. You've got great guests. And just to you know, leave a final thought, it's not just about activism for health freedom and freedom in general. It's about putting your money where your mouth is. And, you know, you've had other folks on, you know, the Joel Salatins of the world with local food freedom. It's also about health freedom, becoming a cash payer. I can help you become a cash payer. The doctors need to get more cash patients to become independent from the medical tyrants. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I hear from you, Brittany, on some ideas you have, hint, hint, on how we organize around macro health freedom ideas to cut through that Gordian knot and protect our, our freedoms period and get better, uh, more conscientious health providers out there. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, and I'm going to, I will be, I'll be linking to everything. Um, you mentioned a lot of stuff. I'll post links in the, in the show notes and thanks again. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Brittany. Take care.